everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thrive Theology Podcast, where we equip you to live thoughtfully as a Christian by discussing and teaching various theological topics, because we believe every Christian is called to be a theologian, since theology isn't just knowing about God, but knowing his heart. So we are talking about the history of preaching today, which might not be a topic that you've ever thought of. I know I hadn't, but when Bethany recommended that we discuss this, I was like, yeah, let's let's go for it. Um, we're discussing this because before the written word was in common use, information was shared orally in formal settings. That's the primary way that information was um, distributed. Speeches were a really common way of adding information to the public discussion, and the ancient Greek thinkers would use natural amphitheaters to project their voices to the audience. And just as a side note, I think I mentioned this in a previous episode, but in the Greek culture, the spoken word was the only like valid word we should be concerned about. They viewed the written word as dead. So the spoken word was very important in Greek culture. While there's not a lot of information about religious instruction and teaching in the ancient world, we can only assume that this occurred in certain religious groups. So today, we are taking a brief look at preaching through Christian history and how it has changed throughout the centuries. And just as a side note, this episode is rather Eurocentric because research was kind of difficult. There's not a ton of information on this topic and sources were pretty scarce. So we recognize we're not getting a really solid cross section, but that's because a lot of resources just don't exist on this topic. As we start, I did want to define some terms for us. Um, I'm using the term preaching to refer to a sermon that is delivered to a group of people in a formal setting. Um, This is to differentiate it from teaching such as an an informal lesson or a Bible study or just a group discussion. So this would be like a Sunday morning or a service that has preaching formally from a place of authority. We're going to give a brief description to start with of different preaching in the Bible. We're not going to spend too much time on it because this is probably what you're most familiar with, even if you hadn't actually applied that term to what was going on. We're going to spend a lot more time on um, the centuries after the Bible was written. So first we have the book of Deuteronomy. Moses' final speech to Israel before they go into the promised land, um, and that's when they're being led by Joshua. This speech is technically really a sermon where he's expounding on God's instruction to the people. Deuteronomy chapters 1 through 11 is Moses's opening speech to Israel. And Deuteronomy chapter 27 through 34 is Moses's final speech and his death. In this, Moses warns Israel that they will not be faithful and concludes in Deuteronomy 32 with a poem of warning, then a poem of blessing in Deuteronomy 33. Later on in the history of the kings, Josiah, King Josiah, finds the book of the law. He begins to seek God and has the temple repaired. While they're doing this, the priest finds the book of the law from Moses and shows it to King Josiah. Josiah's response is to tear his clothes and weep because he realizes Israel has not kept the covenant. Second Chronicles chapter 34 verses 29 through 31 say this, Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all of the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and all the people, both great and small. 
And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. This is just an example of prizing um, the word of God the laws of Moses and desiring it to be the central point of their life and in following God and being God's chosen people. Now we're going to shift to the new Testament. And if you think about a sermon in the new Testament, you probably know exactly what I'm going to mention. And that is the Jesus sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount is the primary example of Jesus's preaching, but there are of course, many other instances of Jesus teaching many of which were not recorded, given that he did ministry for about three years. We have a lot of um, of these teachings recorded, parables, he said, and that sort of thing. But John expresses at the end of his gospel that not everything Jesus did has been recorded. In Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 27, we read this. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. So it seems from this passage that it was actually a really common practice for the Jews to have regular readings from the scripture and invite visiting rabbis to teach. So while Bethany was unable to find much information specifically on Jewish preaching practices, it seems safe to assume that reading and explaining scripture publicly was common in their time and culture. Um, We're not going to go into much detail on these next few, but we also see later in the New Testament that Stephen preaches a sermon when he stands before the council on trial, um, just before he is stoned. We have Peter's sermon to the Jews in Jerusalem, just after Pentecost, when Peter stands up and declares the gospel to them. And we also have Paul's sermon to the Greeks. We're going to skip a millennium (laughs) from the first century. We're going to go all the way now to the Middle Ages. And that's because Y'all, it was really hard to find um, information and sources that a lay person like myself would be able to understand. Um, so there just isn't a lot on on that. If you find something, feel free to forward it to us because I would be interested. So we're going to move on now to the Middle Ages. If you remember from our series two summers ago about different denominations in Christendom and Christian Christian history, you'll know that the Roman Catholic Church was basically the dominating presence in the West. So that would be Europe specifically. Um, And because like we said, this is going to be Eurocentric, we're mostly going to focus on this. The Roman Catholic Church had a very strong presence in the lives of the people in the medieval ages. The church was closely tied with the monarchy and control of the land. During the early medieval ages, preaching was divided into two audiences, the religious specialists and the laity. Um, The messages for religious specialists occurred mostly at monasteries, seminaries, abbeys, um, schools, etc. 
The sermons to religious specialists were mostly scholastic in nature, expounding on various theological positions to students and other scholars. Think of like conversations or speeches or lectures that happen at like Oxford. Like most normal people don't go to Oxford on a regular basis just to listen. Not really a thing. So you have this, these intellectuals and academics that are just talking to each other and having little speeches with each other about what they're learning. And that's kind of close to what we have about preaching. It was here that women were permitted to preach at times. So the abbess could speak about the scriptures to her fellow sisters. You can find more on this in our episode about medieval faith and women, which is episode 105 called the medieval ages, women and the religious lives they led. You'll remember from our episodes on various practices and beliefs of the Roman Catholic Church that the doctrine of magisterial authority meant that only specific members of the clergy could interpret the scriptures accurately. In the 12th century, preaching was more regulated, and the responsibility was given only to bishops and their delegates. During these centuries, the church service, or mass, centered mainly around the Eucharist rather than preaching on the scriptures. And any preaching that did happen was mostly about the Eucharist or other sacraments. There were some traveling mystics and hermits. Remember, we talked about Hildegard of Bingen, who was allowed to preach during the 1400s and 1500s that would preach the common people in the marketplace or other public places. Often these messages focused on repentance, glorifying God, and preparation for the sacraments. These traveling preachers drew large crowds of the general public and whet the appetites of those people for the sermons of the reformers that would come later. Then we have a really significant technological invention, and that is the invention of the printing press. So the invention of the printing press around 1436 allowed for the Bible to be distributed more widely and paved the way to put the Bible into the hands of the laity. It also allowed ideas to be spread quicker and further than ever before. An early example of the influence of the printing press on the European church is in the beginnings of the Reformation. Dave Roos from History.com said this, As the legend goes, Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg on October 31st, 1517. Palmer says that broadsheet copies of Luther's document were being printed in London as quickly as 17 days later. Thanks to the printing press and the timely power of his message, Luther became the world's first best-selling author. Luther's translation of the New Testament into German sold 5,000 copies in just two weeks. From 1518 to 1525, Luther's writings accounted for a third of all books sold in Germany, and his German Bible went through more than 430 editions. The Gutenberg Bible was the first book to be printed using a movable metal type press, and it was significantly cheaper than a manuscript Bible, and it also sold out immediately. going to move into the Reformation and the decades following the Reformation. The preaching of reformers like Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, and more were instrumental as they called the people to faithfulness to God's word primarily. 
As Europe was thrust into a reckoning of faith and many papists or Roman Catholic distinctives were being stripped from both church buildings and church services, the space was filled with reformers' message of devotion to scripture. Historian Susan Courant Nunn says, no sermon, no reformation. The reformers were guided by Romans chapter 10, verse 17, which says that faith comes by hearing and they used sermons as the primary way of reaching the people with their message. Dr. Barbara Pitkin of Stanford University says that, quote, their conviction was that the word of scripture that awakens faith is primarily the preached word constituted a new emphasis in the theory of preaching, unquote. As mentioned previously, before the Reformation, sermons were mostly used to prepare the people for the sacraments and the church services were centered on the Eucharist. The Reformation brought a major reversal in the content of preaching that the sermons changed to focus on the expositing of scripture. The sermon also shifted to fill the main portion of the service and was eventually meant to help bring Christ's presence into the congregation in a similar way as the sacraments had in the Roman Catholic services. So as the Reformation gained ground and began to establish its practices in different areas throughout Europe, different methods of preaching developed. Lutheran sermons were based mainly on the liturgical readings of the Gospels and Epistles. Swiss reformers would often preach through whole books of the Bible, and other weekly services would teach more doctrinally or topically as catechisms were formed and taught. The goal here was to help the layperson understand the Word of God. The expectations for a sermon required pastors to be better educated, to preach more often and longer, and there was also an increased demand for sermon aids, outlines, study materials, etc. Dr. Barbara Pitkin says, quote, The sheer number of sermons preached by the major reformers is staggering. For example, Luther preached regularly throughout his career, giving perhaps 6,000 sermons, of which 2,000 survive. Calvin preached some 4,000 sermons over 20 years in Geneva. Heinrich Bullinger, who lived from 1504 to 1575, preached over 7,000 during his 44-year tenure in Zurich. As you'll remember, um, pre-Reformation, some of these traveling preachers and hermits were drawing very large crowds, and the people were coming with um, a lot of interest in these sermons. And as the reformers moved, their initial sermons were met with this passionate interest and engagement. And in the following decades and centuries, they kind of expected the people to continue to receive the sermons this way. Congregations were encouraged to attend Sunday sermons, midweek services, and maybe catechism classes on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, along with some other material. Basically, instead of just being a, a witness and um, participating in the Eucharist, congregation members were now required or expected rather to be engaged in the sermon, to be thinking of their questions, to engage with the text that was being taught. As the printing press made it easier to distribute material, sermons were also now available to the literate in printed form. This changed the way they interacted with sermon material. Some sermons were written down as they were being delivered verbatim by scribes. Um, in fact, John Calvin did this in Geneva. These sermons were then distributed in paper form to very widely to many different people. And instead of just hearing a quick little 10-minute homily from a Catholic mass, now you have the opportunity to read the sermons of 
anybody who was publishing them and distributing them. So it changed the way that people interacted with sermon content. Um, A little note, since we're talking about the Reformation right now, Reformation Day is October 31st, which is coming up. So start start planning your celebrations now. We're going to jump ahead a few hundred years to the 1800s. The 1800s were marked with immigration to North America and westward expansion, spreading people out to new places and communities of faith. It gave Christians new opportunities to figure out how to live their beliefs and join others to become the first congregations of new towns and settlements. The Industrial Revolution also changed the face of the working class and gave pastors new opportunities to share their sermons. Circuit preachers would travel to the frontier towns and preach for communities without a pastor on a rotating basis. These preachers were constantly on the move, riding their horses all over their assigned territory. Aside from just preaching, they performed marriage ceremonies, baptisms, funerals, etc. for the people. The circuit riders were formed loosely from the Methodist denominations. The proliferation of newspapers allowed for the regular publishing of sermons. Charles Spurgeon, a Baptist preacher in London, England, was an immensely popular preacher. His sermons would be published in not only pamphlet form every week and then distributed on the streets, but they were also printed in the London Times and the New York Times. His preaching methods were different from his contemporaries in that he had impressive oratory skills, acting out Bible stories and issuing passionate pleas for people to hear and repent. So he, he was very charismatic in the this preaching sense of the word, not the denomination. <laughs> his congregation repeatedly outgrew their buildings and Spurgeon's reputation as England's Prince of Preachers was established. Then the Great Awakening, which is technically the second Great Awakening, was influential in both the upper class New England congregations, but also the smaller, less elite communities. It was known for hellfire and damnation preaching and revival tent meetings, calling people to deeper and truer devotion to God. In the 1900s, many technological inventions changed the face of sermon delivery, distribution, and consumption. These technical inventions were really the driver in evangelism during this century. Audio recording is the first. As audio recording became common and radio came into popularity, many preachers used the new platform to distribute their recorded sermons over the airwaves. In fact, the first known recorded sermon was delivered by Dwight L. Moody in 1899. The radio opened the door to, quote, live and widespread preaching and teaching of the gospel. And you, you didn't have to be in the same room as the person and you could actually hear their voice. In 1922, Paul Rader, an evangelist preacher and president of the Christian Missionary Alliance, began a weekly Saturday radio spot with gospel music and preaching on a new radio station. This turned into a mission for radio evangelism. Rader became known as the Evangelical Missions Innovator. Clarence Jones, Rader's protege, said of his new radio mission in Ecuador in 1931, quote, Our whole creed of service is... Quote, use everything we can that God has given us in this 20th century to speed the taking of the first century message. Thus, we restate Paul's challenge, by all means, save some, unquote. So you can see in a very short time from 1923 until only eight years later in 1931, radio mission has spread from major cities in North America all the way to Ecuador. 
Before long, Christian programming, preaching, gospel music, and more were popping up all over the Western world and moving into other parts of the world. It was a new mission field to reach the lost. R.R. Brown, which is in fact Phil Fisher's great-grandfather, had a Sunday morning radio spot offered to him in 1923. Eventually, his program was broadcast all over the country and across the oceans. In time, the community that listened to Brown would join together to form the Okaboji Bible Conference to meet in person once a year. Thus was the connection that people formed with Brown and each other just by listening to his messages on Sundays over the radio. This was a major change because before you could read a printed sermon, but you weren't necessarily connected to the preacher himself, whereas now you could hear the preacher's voice, but you weren't actually in the room with him. So it separated your personal pastor that at the church that you went to. You weren't only listening to that person's sermons. Now you could listen to the sermons of other people who didn't even know you or weren't necessarily preaching to you as a congregation. Television and recorded video and audio again changed the way that pastors shared their preaching with the public as they now learned how to use this new technology. So here's where we get televangelists, for better or worse. Along with other innovations in communication technology, the proliferation of television ministry gave anybody with capital and charisma a platform, a deadly combination. The evolution of audio equipment allowed for more people to hear clearly in a large stadium and led the way for revival type meetings with tens of thousands of people. And here we have different examples like Billy Graham's ministry, Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now called Crew, and then various radio and television broadcasts. So this brings us to modern day preaching. A 2019 survey by Pew Research Center found the following stats about sermons that year. The average sermon length was 37 minutes, but varied significantly by denomination. The shortest was 14 minutes for Catholics. And this is because if you haven't been to a Catholic mass, they still do homilies. Like the the sermon is not the primary part of the service. They do like 10 to 15 minute homilies. For mainline Protestants, the average sermon length was 25 minutes. Sermon length was 39 minutes for evangelicals and 54 minutes for historically black Protestant denominations. As of the early 1980s, sermons have been available online, both in audio and video form. And of course, due to the pandemic, 2020 brought a whole new revolution in online church services um, because people were not able to meet in person like they historically had been able to. And this is where we got into videos, a lot of more, a lot more podcasts and a lot of live services or services that were live streamed. So I did just mention the pandemic briefly, and I I will just say that the pandemic has really brought up a lot of different conversations that both local churches are having and entire denominations and even the global church about whether or not you need to be in person to hear a sermon. And of course, we know that technology has enabled people who are not even living in the same continent to hear sermons um, from different churches. 
Um, and a lot of people would say that this is detrimental to the local church because people just go around cherry picking what sermons they want to listen to. Um, and other people would say that there's a lot of benefit to being able to hear a variety of teachers. There's pros and cons to both. Some people would argue that in order for a sermon to be meaningful, it needs to be um, prepared and delivered by a preacher who knows his congregation, knows what they need to hear, and has waited to hear from God what he should talk to his congregation about, where other people would say that there are certain um, aspects of preaching that really there's nothing wrong with hearing a sermon preached by somebody you don't know. And you know, and, and we actually, that's not even necessarily a new discussion because I feel like we, we talked about how Charles Spurgeon's sermons would be preached. He's, he's in England and they're being printed in the New York times, right? Um, would it be, would it have been wrong for those people to look at his sermons or to hear radio programs, you know, years later, um, from different countries. So that's been an ongoing discussion. And I think that the pandemic has just brought that issue to light once again, where it's like, okay, are sermons something that we should be able to um, consume broadly, or is that something that should be reserved for the local church? Um, not, and then, of course, the other whole issue is that we've made our church services in North America very sermon-centric in the Protestant church. Um, like I mentioned, too, that's not so much the case, case in the Catholic church. So that's another whole discussion as well. The Catholic Church, the whole service is really centered around the Eucharist or communion, whereas in Protestant denominations, it's much more centered around the sermon and hearing the word of God being preached. And it's kind of cool to see how that started 500 years ago and is still is still happening today. Yeah, I agree. It's It's one of those things that I listen to a lot of audio content, mostly because I just listen to stuff while I'm driving or doing other work and... I really enjoy um, consuming information that way. And some of that is sermons that have been preached on a Sunday morning to a certain congregation by a certain pastor. And I can learn from those, no problem. Then the question comes up, well, if I'm doing, not me personally, but if a person's doing this, do they really need to stay for the sermon on Sunday, on a Sunday morning service? If they're already getting fed in that spiritual way, like spiritual knowledge that way, on their own? Or do you have a commitment to your local church to stay through that and to learn from your local pastor? It's a, it's a question that we don't have an answer for. We just wanted to kind of put a cap on this episode by explaining where we are now and some of the issues that have come up now. Um, I will say that I would like to give a major shout out to Dr. Barbara Pitkin um, of Stanford University. Her paper or her article rather the reformation of preaching was the most detailed accurate and helpful source i found in my research y'all it was hard to find sources on this i was kind of expecting to find like more because we usually we don't have quite this much difficulty but it seems like this is just not an area of study for academic people who are writing for the layperson. and i kind of wish somebody would do their dissertation on it and then write a book for the popular market <laughs> because i find it i found it really interesting so um, my recommended resource is dr barbara pitkin's article i would recommend you go and, and read it there's quite a bit more details in there that i found fascinating um, like emily said it was really interesting for me to see some of the roots of our current preaching models comes directly out of the Reformation and how those ideas were switched relatively quickly in the grand scheme of things in that hundred years just after the Reformation, and especially with um, 
like the movement into the new world after that. So if this is interesting to you, definitely check out her article. With that, we are going to wrap up today's episode. We hope that you enjoyed it and learned something and it added to your understanding of church history. And we will talk to you next week with another episode. Bye. Thanks for tuning into the Thrive Theology Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave us a rating or review. For show notes, resources, blog posts, and a complete archive of episodes, visit us at thrivetheology.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at Thrive Theology. We'll chat with you next time.